0: Welcome to Dragon Gray's Variety Show's Weekend Edition. Today we're going to do a reading of the incredible, amazing, fantastic book The Beginning, Fellowship of the Ring from Lord of the Rings. This has been written by J.R. Token. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this portion of the first chapter of Fellowship of the Ring. When Mr. Bilbo Baggins of Bag End announced that he would shortly be celebrating his eleventy-first birthday with a party of special magnificence, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. Bilbo was very rich and very peculiar, and had been the wonder of the Shire for 60 years ever since his remarkable disappearance and unexpected return. The riches he had brought back from his travels had now become a local legend, and it was popular believed whatever the old folk might say, that the hill of Bag End was full of tunnels stuffed with treasure. And if that was not enough for fame, there was also his prolonged vigor to marvel at. Time wore on, but it seemed to have little effect on Mr. Baggins. At ninety, he was much the same as fifty, At ninety-nine, they began to call him well-preserved, but unchanged would have been nearer the mark. There were some that shook their heads and thought this was too much of a good thing. It seemed unfair that anyone should possess, apparently, perpetual youth as well as, reputedly, inexhaustible wealth. It will have to be paid for, they said, It isn't natural, and trouble will come of it. But so far, trouble had not come. And as Mr. Baggins was generous with his money, most people were willing to forgive him his oddities and his good fortune. He remained on visiting terms with his relatives, except, of course, the Sackville Bagginses. And he had many devoted admirers among the hobbits of poor and unimportant families, but he had no close friends until some of his younger cousins began to grow up. The eldest of these, and Bilbo's favorite, was young Frodo Baggins. When Bilbo was 99, he adopted Frodo as his heir and brought him to live at Bag End, and the hopes of the Sackville Bagginses were finally dashed. Bilbo and Frodo happened to have the same birthday, September 22nd. You had better come and live here, Frodo, my lad, said Bilbo one day, and then we can celebrate our birthday parties comfortably together. At that time, Frodo was still in his his tweens, as the hobbits called the irresponsible twenties between childhood and coming of age at thirty-three. Twelve more years passed. Each year, the Bagginses had given very lively combined birthday parties at Bag End. But now it was understood that something quite exceptional was being planned for that autumn. Bilbo was going to be 111 11, 11, 11 as rather was a curious number, and a very respectable age for a hobbit, the old Took himself had only reached 130, and Frodo was going to be 33, an important number, the date of his coming of age. Tongues began to wag in Hobbiton, and by water and rumor of the coming event traveled all over the Shire. The history and character of Mister Bilbo Baggins became once again the chief topic of conversation, and the older folks suddenly found their reminiscences of welcome demand in welcome demand. No one had a more attentive audience than Old Ham Gamgee, commonly known as the Gaffer. He held forth at the Ivy Bush, a small inn on the Bywater Road. And he spoke with some authority, for he had tended the garden at Bag End for forty years and had helped old Holman in the same job before that. Now that he was himself growing old and stiff in the joints, the job was mainly carried on by his youngest son, Sam Gamgee. Both father and son were on very friendly terms with Bilbo and Frodo. They lived on the hill itself. In number three, Bagshot Row, just below Bag End, a very nice, well-spoken, gentle hobbit is Mr. Bilbo. As I've always said, the gaffer declared with perfect truth, for Bilbo was very polite to him, calling him Master Hemfast, and consulting him constantly upon the growing of vegetables. See in the matter of roots, especially potatoes. "'The gaffer was recognized as the leading authority by all in the neighborhood, including himself. "'But what about this Frodo that lives with him?' asked old Noakes of Bywater. "'Baggins is his name, but he's more than half of Brandybuck,' they say. "'It beats me why any Baggins of Hobbiton should go looking for a wife away there in Buckland, where folks are so queer.' And no wonder they're queer, put in Daddy Twofoot, the Gaffer's next-door neighbor. If they live on the wrong side of the brandy the brandywine River and right again the old forest, that's a dog bad place. If half the tales be true, you're right, Dad," said the Gaffer. Not that the brandybucks of Buckland live in the old forest, but they're a queer breed, seemingly they fool about with boats on that big river sea and that ain't natural some wonder small wonder that trouble came of it i say but be that it as may mr frodo is as nice a young hobbit as you could wish to meet very much like mr bilbo and in more than looks after all his father was baggins a decent, respectable hobbit was Mr. Drogo Baggins. There was never much to tell of him till he was drowned. Drownded, said several voices. They had heard this and other darker rumors before, of course, but hobbits have a passion for family history, and they were ready to hear it again. Well, so they say, said the gaffer. You see, Mr. Drogo, he married poor Miss... Primula Brandybuck, she was our Mr. Bilbo's first cousin on the mother's side, her mother being the youngest of the old Took's daughters, and Mr. Drogo was his second cousin. So Mr. Frodo is his first and second cousin, once removed either way, as the saying is, if you follow me. And Mr. Drogo was staying at Brandy Hall with his father-in-law, old master Gorbenduck, as he often did after his marriage, him being partial to his vides, and old garbadock keeping in mightily generous table. And he went out boating on the Brandywine River, and he and his wife were drowned, and poor Mr. Frodo, only a child and all. I've heard they went on the water after dinner in the moonlight, said old Noakes, and it was Drogo's weight as sunk the boat. And I heard she pushed him in, and he pulled her in after, said Sandy Man, the Hobbiton Miller. You shouldn't listen to all you hear, Sandy Man, said the gaffer, who did not much like the Miller. There isn't no call to go talking of pushing and pulling, Boats are quite tricky enough for those that sit still without looking further to the cause of trouble. Anyway, there was the this Mr. Frodo left an orphan and stranded, as you might say, among those queer Bucklanders, being brought up anywhere in Brandy Hall, a regular warren by all accounts. Old Master Gorbidoc never had fewer than a couple of hundred relations in the place, Mr. Bilbo never did a kinder deed than when he brought the lad back to live among decent folk. But I reckon it was a nasty shock for those Sackyville Bagginses. They brought, they thought they were going to be back, get back in that time when he went off and was thought to be dead. And then he comes back and orders them off and he goes on living and living and never looking a day older. Bless him. And suddenly he produces an heir and has all the papers made out proper. The Sackville Bagginses won't never see the inside of Baggin now or is to be hoped not. This was an episode of Fellowship of the Ring written by the famous J.R. Tolkien. Hope you've had a chance to watch that movie or particularly read the book. But it's a great story, great story. Check out another story coming up shortly. Enjoy it. This next book is called Rise of the Dragons. Its author is Morgan Rice. He has a variety of other books, of other uh, genres, etc. You can find them all on Amazon.com. Chapter One Kyra stood atop the grassy knoll, the frozen ground hard beneath her boots, snow falling around her, and tried to ignore the biting cold. As she raised her bow and focused on her target, she narrowed her eyes, shutting out of the rest of the world a gale of wind, the sound of a distant crow, and forced herself to see only the skinny birch tree, far off, stark white, standing out amidst the landscape of purple pine, Forty yards out, this was just the sort of shot her brothers couldn't make, and that made her all the more determined, she being the youngest of the bunch, and the only girl amongst them. Kyra had never fit in. A part of her wanted to, of course wanted to do what was expected of her and spend time with the other girls, as was her place, attending to domestic fairs, but deep down inside, it was not who she was. She was her father's daughter, had a warrior's spirit, like he, and she would not be contained to the Stone walls of their stronghold would not succumb to a life beside a hearth. She was a better shot than these men, indeed. She could already outshoot her father's finest archers, and she would do whatever she had to to prove to them all, most of all her father, that she deserved to be taken seriously. Her father loved her, she knew, but he refused to see her for who she was. Kyra did her best, training far from the fort, out here on the plains of Volus, alone, which suited her well, since she, the only girl in a fort of warriors, had learned to be alone. She had taken to to retreating here even days her favorite spot. High atop the plateau overlooking the fort's rambling stone walls where she could find good trees, skinny trees, hard to hit. The thwack of her arrows had become an ever-present sound echoing over the village Not a tree up here had been spared from her arrows. Their trunks scarred, some trees already leaning. Most of her father's archers, Kyra knew, took aim at the mice that covered the plains. When she had first started, she had tried that herself and had found that she could kill them quite easily. But... That had sickened her. She was fearless, but sensitive, too, and killing a living thing with no purpose displeased her. She had vowed then that she would never take aim at a living thing again, unless it was dangerous or attacking her. Like the wolf bats that emerged at night and flew too close to her father's fort. She had no qualm about dropping them, especially... After her younger brother, Aiden suffered a wolf bat bite that left him ill for half a moon. Besides, they were the fastest moving creatures out there, and she knew that if she could hit one, especially at night, then she could hit anything. She had once spent an entire night by a full moon firing away from her father's tower and had run out eagerly at sunrise, thrilled to see scores of wolf bats littering the ground, her arrows still in them, villagers crowding around and looking with amazed faces. This has been a short version of Rise of the Dragons, written by Morgan Rice. Again, check him out on Amazon.com. This has been an episode of the weekend edition of Dragon Gray's Variety Show. Hope you've enjoyed the stories. Keep reading out there. Come back and see us again tomorrow. It's been a pleasure. Stay safe. Come back.